Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. And uh, with us this morning as we await testimony from uh, current Fed Chair Janet Yellen uh, is Dan Moss. He is economics editor and columnist for Bloomberg View, as well as Dave Wilson, who is our permanent Bitcoin watcher uh, and is watching the price soar. No, no, no. That's not, we've got a few <laughs> other Bitcoin watchers. All right, fair I enough. I do have a Bitcoin chart of the day out today. All so. right. Well, we'll get to that in a second, Dan. I want to start with you and I want to talk about uh, Janet Yellen with the gloves off. She is no longer going to be Fed Chair chair come early next year. Do you think that she's going to get kind of feisty and, and, and say things that are sort of controversial today? Look, she's not a particularly feisty person. Having listened to her in her role as vice chair, her role as chair before that in the Clinton administration when she was chair of the CEA, she's not a boastful person. She's a very humble person. But look, she wouldn't be human if she didn't think, Here's my chance to do a victory lap. All right. So what's she going to do? Is she just basically going to go over the progress the Fed did uh, made w under her control? Or is there going to be possibly more of uh, something more here? It, it depends what she's asked. I mean, there will certainly be an element of recapping where we've been, where we are now. Don't forget, she's still chair at this point until early February. She will be running the FOMC meeting next month. Uh, Jay Powell yesterday tipped uh, the committee's hand somewhat by saying the case was coming together. Not such a surprise. The famous dots last published in September projected that. But look, there's a number of things that he didn't say that she may now feel free to address. Like what? Like what happens if we're here this time next year, they've had their three rate increases that the dots projected, and inflation still is not close to 2%. What happens then? Now, she's already observed that expectations of inflation might be starting to drift a little. So does the committee keep going even if inflation doesn't get back to target? Everything's predicated on inflation ultimately getting back to target. The other thing she could address is 
the other side of the mandate. You know, GDP's been bumping along, give or take 2%, for the better part of the last eight years. But if there's one thing that's consistently surprised, it's the strength of the labour market. The unemployment rate just continues to grind lower. It's not inconceivable that in a year's time, the unemployment rate in the United States, for all its flaws, could be around 3.5%. Is that the point at which Phillips starts curving? The models all tell them it's bound to happen at some point. What is that point? Dave Wilson, I want to bring you into the conversation just to get your thoughts on what's going on in the markets right now. Looking at the S&P 500, we've got some winners. Uh, Macy's, for example, Advanced Auto Parts, uh, Nordstrom, Kohl's, Viacom, all moving higher. But uh, Dow just seems to want to move up, and it is up more than 100 points. Right. I mean, there are plenty of winners today, no question. But one thing that's interesting, here we are in the midst of a transition in terms of who's going to be running the world's most uh, you know, important central bank, and you've got financial stocks on a tear. They're higher for the second day in the S&P 500. You're looking at a 4.5% gain in the S&P 500 financials index, biggest for that indicator in a year. So if people were really worried about where things were going to be headed from here, you wouldn't see that kind of a move, I don't think. Let's put this into perspective. And Dan, I wanted to bring you in on this. I mean, Jay Powell, Jerome Powell yesterday, uh, the upcoming likely Fed chair, uh, come early next year, was very specific about the fact that he did not think that there were any too big to fail banks anymore in the U.S. And he thought that regulations had uh, had gone a little too far and seemed to really note a deregulatory push. I mean, is that what we're seeing in the market today, Dan? Look, he comes down on the deregulatory side of the ledger, but he's not what someone like Elizabeth Warren would call a crazy deregulator. Look, Jay Powell is from the centrist Republican tradition. He was originally a George H.W. Bush Treasury appointee. This is not someone who's out there, you know, in the constellation where many House Republicans might find themselves in the regulatory environment. And just to get back to Dave's point, I mean, no one is saying the economy is in poor shape. Probably one of the great stories of this year, when we look back on it, is 12 months ago, people were saying, oh, yeah, new normal, mediocre global growth, uh, 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 uh. Now this term synchronized upswing right, appears right. to be everywhere. Right, and we've heard this, but the, oddly we're not. But we haven't heard the ah 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 before. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave, but but I want to ask you know how much also this has to do with the tax plan, and, and I'm wondering what other sectors are going to be benefiting the most from the tax plan, which looks like it has a better chance of passing the GOP right now, uh, given the fact that it would unleash a lot of money for these companies for them to buy back shares. Is that what we're seeing in some of these stocks? Well, there's no doubt that. That's part of the mix. There are a couple of points, though. I remember reading somebody's commentaries like, how many times can stocks rally on the same tax plan? That's one piece of it. Another one. Many times. Another one is, you know, your comment about stock repurchases. You know, we're seeing companies increasingly move away from buybacks and toward things like capital spending because business is picking up. So, you know, you have to wonder, you know, if indeed it all does come down and we have the tax plan in place and lower rates and you name it, uh, and, you know, money coming in from overseas, potentially, 
Where is it going to go? Is it going to go into shareholders' pockets, as happened a decade or so ago, uh, in large measure when there was a, a tax holiday? Or is it going to be, uh, dare I say it, different this time? Let me just also mention that, of course, we're waiting for Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen to begin her testimony before the Joint Economic Committee in Washington. And just to come back to your point, Dave, about banks and specifically regional banks, and Dan, your thoughts as well. John Kennedy yesterday, Republican senator from Louisiana, questioning Jerome Powell specifically about whether there was going to be some segmentation in terms of oversight, whether banks that are not huge, let's say, money center banks, although that term may be out of date now, banks such as, and I'm just picking the list of stocks that are moving higher in the S&P 500, Dave, SunTrust, Citizens, Huntington, Regions, Zions, Fifth Third, BB&T, Comerica, Discover Financial. These are not what you would call too big to fail institutions. Will there be a lighter regulatory touch for these institutions? And as a result, will they be able to enjoy the growth that they, at least at the moment, have said has been constrained because that they have been uh, targeted with the same kind of regulations that big banks have uh, have been hit with? Well, Pim, you're right. Kennedy's question really stood out because a lot of them were trying to bait him on tax. Correct. And he was never going to go I was there. surprised also, you know, Republican from Louisiana, and I thought that he was one of the most uh, sort of direct questioners about this particular issue, but specifically community and regional banks. That's right. And his questions were quite pointed as well. I mean, amidst the plethora of the committee, this was not a soundbite type inquiry he was making. And look, and Powell was careful not to commit himself. Remember, the object of a Senate confirmation hearing is don't create a target for yourself and get through. Having said that, the mood music of Powell's response was pretty sympathetic. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, it's sympathetic to these banks. Correct. Yeah. That there Correct. would be some kind of bifurcation, that there would Essentially, be Essentially, what he was rules. saying is if there's something we can do that avoids you getting caught up in the net... Yeah. that's been placed around the bigger banks, then we're happy to look at it. And he really did sound sympathetic, but, you know, again, the to be sure, not a lot of meat there. Uh, real quick, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't also mention North Korea and what was going on there. Just briefly, Dave, markets don't care, do they? Well, it's something that you pay attention to, but you don't necessarily trade off it day in and day out until there's something more specific that becomes a front and center issue for people. It'll be interesting to see whether uh, Jenny Yellen is asked about the complacency in markets that we're currently feeling. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. We've been listening to Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen testify before the Joint Economic Committee in Washington. We just heard from the chairman, uh, Pat Tiberi, the uh, congressman from Ohio, Republican, who will be uh, leaving Congress. Wait, can his- I just say something? This room was almost entirely empty. This is the last time that Janet Yellen is going to speak uh, before the Joint Economic Committee and uh, possibly the last time she testifies ever as Federal Reserve Chair. And it was an almost empty room 
room, uh, a fairly sort of dry sort of overview of her tenure, but nothing really uh, particularly that stands out. But it was just sort of amazing to me. I mean, it sort of uh, highlights how she's being viewed at this point as a, a lame duck in a way. Well, uh, and except for her chairing the next FOMC meeting uh, in December, this is uh, perhaps one of her last official uh, duties that will be at least in the public eye. And we heard uh, questioning from uh, Texas uh, Republican Senator Ted Cruz, as uh, well as uh, a variety of, we had Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat uh, congresswoman from New York. I just want to point out yeah. that Pim Fox was really listening and, and keeping track of absolutely everyone while... Uh... Well, I just thought it was interesting only in... In the sense that, uh, well, okay. you know what? Let's uh, let's be uh, informed rather than talk about what's interesting. Let me bring in uh, Chris Condon, a Bloomberg News reporter who covers the the Federal Reserve. And uh, Chris, thanks for being uh, with us. I, I just want to ask you. You know, at the very beginning, uh, the chairman, uh, Representative Congressman uh, Tiberi. Um, he talked about small banks, and that picks up on a theme that was mentioned yesterday during the uh, nomination hearings for Jerome Powell uh, to succeed Janet Yellen by uh, Senator John Kennedy of Louisiana. Uh, and I'm wondering whether this issue of trying to make the regulatory environment for small and medium-sized banks less onerous, will, will that be something that you believe will take, uh, take center stage? Um, there certainly is a lot of pressure on the Fed on that. Um, yeah, fair to say it's on, in center stage. Whether it's going to happen, I have to say, Pim, I've been hearing everyone say they're in favor of easing the regulatory burden on community banks for years in Washington. Democrats, Republicans, people at the Fed, people at other regulatory agencies. So what's preventing it from happening? It just seems to, well, first of all, if they wanted to do it legislatively, um, they, they can never seem to get their act together. Um, there seemed to be a lot of bipartisan support um, a while back when uh, Shelby, Richard Shelby was in charge of the Senate Banking Committee, um, but when he went to make some changes to um, uh, legislation, he kind of he kind of reached too far to the point where Democrats would not get on board. So they they never kind of carved this area out in a piece of legislation and say, let's just do this for the community banks, which they know everybody is in favor of. There's always somebody trying to chuck something else into the legislation. Now on the agency sides. You know, I, 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 I'm not entirely an expert in, to, in terms of the interagency dynamic, but there seems to be just a sort of bureaucratic slowness to this. It does take a long time to agree to things. Um, now, Randy Quarles is the new vice chair for supervision at the Fed. Jay Powell will be the new chairman. Yeah. The two of those guys are very close, and maybe they'll have a chance to speed things up, to put a little new energy into that, that area where everyone seems to already agree. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that we will see. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. Chris Condon, Federal Reserve reporter for Bloomberg. Uh, one thing that uh, Chair Yellen was asked about was the tax plan currently uh, sort of careening toward being passed by the GOP. And joining us now is Tulu Olorinipa. He's a White House correspondent for Bloomberg. Uh, and you wrote a, a story that I thought was really compelling. Uh, and Tulu, I, why don't you just lay it out for us uh, regarding what you found uh, when you looked at companies and what they might do with the extra cash that they that would be freed up from the tax cuts. 
Yeah, one of the most compelling arguments that the White House has tried to make about this tax bill and the corporate tax cut is that uh, basically the the companies would take all of this extra money that they're going to get from lower taxes and plow it directly into higher wages and new jobs. They even put out a report saying that there would be an average uh, wage increase of $4,000 to $9,000. So what we did was look at what the CEOs of these companies are telling their investors, and we're hearing a very different message. They're telling their shareholders that a lot of this money is going to go directly into share buybacks and paying for dividends and, uh, you know, sort of rewarding their investors, not necessarily uh, paying for higher wages and rewarding their workers with uh, with higher wages and, and better jobs. Uh, so there, that disconnect is something that we looked at, and it sort of undercuts the message that the president has, has been putting out as he's tried to, tried to campaign for this tax cut, saying that this is the way to create jobs and create wages. Instead, uh, it does appear that a lot of these companies are going to use this money just to reward their shareholders and not necessarily uh, give it directly to their workers or start uh, you know, creating new jobs and reinvesting in plants. So that was uh, sort of what we looked at in the story. And we, we highlight a lot of the commentary that we've seen from CEOs from a lot of major companies that have a lot of this money either piled, uh, piled up overseas or currently uh, anticipating a very large windfall from a lower corporate tax rate. And uh, they're already making plans for what they're going to do with the money, and it does not uh, sync up with what the White House is saying is going to happen. Tulu, I, I want to just uh, throw you something, and if it's not in your bailiwick, you know, please, by all means, say so. But, you know, there's been a back-and-forth debate about what happens with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and the Federal Housing Finance Agency uh, is in discussions with the White House over what to do with more than $7 billion that is actually owed to the government at the end of the year by Fannie and Freddie. Have you heard anything about these negotiations and any information about the sort of perspective that the White House has about the future of these GSEs? Yeah, this is a little bit outside of my expertise, but I, I do know that with this current fight go- going on at, with the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, um, that's one of the things that the White House is, is looking at, sort of trying to figure out what to do uh, when it comes to uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. It does appear that the, the White House has struggled to sort of have a governing coalition that looks at um, some of these major issues, uh, how how involved the government should be in the housing market, how heavily involved the government should be with regulations. Yeah. We, it's not something that we've heard the president talk about directly. So it's it's somewhat of a mystery to know sort of what's going on behind the scenes. Um, but it is a, an issue that uh, is, is going to be on the president's desk pretty soon. And we just haven't, haven't heard very much publicly about what his position is going to be. Uh, Tulu, can you just give us a sense of what's ahead as far as the most controversial portions of the GOP bill that still have to be sold as, all, as well as just sort of the, uh, the schedule going forward of passing the bill? Yeah, the, probably right now what has emerged as the most controversial portion is this idea of a trigger. In order to get a couple of the holdouts to vote for this uh, this tax bill, they, they're they working on some sort of trigger that would uh, be sort of a backstop in case the growth project projections that have been put forward don't um, don't come into fruition over time, then we would have some kind of trigger to return some of that revenue and make sure that the government doesn't end up increasing the federal debt. 
there's a lot of pushback from a number of various conservative groups, a number of different senators who don't like the idea of automatic tax increases that could happen even during a economic downturn. Um, but sort of squaring that hole and making sure that you have those senators who are concerned about the deficit, as well as those senators who are concerned about the idea of a trigger, being able to appease both of those camps is going to be very complex, and they're working on that sort of behind the scenes. And if they're able to do that, then we could see a vote as quickly as Thursday on the Senate floor. Then they would go to conference, and over the next few days, the House and the Senate would try to work out even more of the the issues that they have between the two houses. Uh, Some of the differences in the bill would have to be worked out before a final vote in uh, a bill that would make it to the president's desk. Thank you very much for being with us. Uh, always a pleasure. Tulu Oloripa, he is our White House correspondent for Bloomberg News. And uh, thanks for listening. I'm Pim Fox, my co-host Lisa Abramowitz. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.